This episode of Standard Orbit is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry, and you're listening to Trek FM. Follow Standard Orbit, Mr. Chekhov, and take a seat. I say... the word of Landru. Joy to you, friends. Welcome to Standard Orbit, Trek FM's dedicated show about the original Star Trek series. This is a show where we dive into the characters, concepts, cliches, and other things that don't start with C about the original series. My name is Drew, or Landru, and I'm the TOS editor for the network. And with me today, as always, is my co-host Mike from Commentary Trek Stars. Hey. So I was thinking about you the other day. Yeah. Uh, a friend of mine went to a, a, a sports store. Uh-huh here in town and he wanted to buy a, a sport hat yes and so i was looking at all the sports hats that they had on the wall and one of them is the the chicago white socks and i was yes. like i should get one of these mike would really appreciate it and then i realized that that would be the only reason i would be getting it is so that i could cosplay as you and i thought that was a little strange so i put it back uh you know i mean hey why not right any reason to buy a white socks cap is a good reason yeah, it's like I want to support Mike's team. I don't care. Yeah. I mean, the White Sox, when I was a kid, I collected baseball cards because that was the cool thing to do. Mm-hmm. I didn't understand any of it. I mean, I had White Sox were the team that I had chosen randomly well, that's as good. being the team to collect. I had Frank Thomas cards and stuff. Frank Thomas is the best. So, I mean, but you're in like, what, southern Indiana? Is Chicago? Mm-hmm. I mean, Chicago is closer than like, st louis to you right right they had i think they had st louis hats they had cubs hats and they had white Sox hats so i mean the white Sox are the closest team to where you live right so you might as well it be. would count if i picked a team yes i mean because you're closer than cincinnati right closer to chicago than cincinnati no cincinnati's only three hours away oh okay well then maybe you should get a reds hat Th- those were my second favorite Oh, okay. When okay. I had, when I randomly picked teams. <laughs> well, good. Well, I'm glad that you you picked the White Sox back when you were randomly picking teams because they, <laughs> they they are the best. Well, we're not going to talk about sports, which would just end up being you explaining <laughs> sports to me. We're actually uh, another anniversary is today when this episode drops, and that is the 25th anniversary of Star Trek V the final frontier yeah not a bad well year for for movies but in in particular okay so so how's this for a month at the movie theaters now two weeks ago you've got indiana jones and the last crusade then today star trek 5 the final frontier and two weeks from today batman wow i mean come on right so, wow. I mean, that's that's a pretty awesome uh, five weeks right there. But then also, Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, sandwiched in between Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade and Batman. You can understand why, well, one reason why it just got completely trounced at the box office. Yeah. 
When it's like when if even if it got just mediocre reviews, I imagine that that the discerning moviegoer would rather go see Last Crusade again or save their two dollars or however much cost back then for Batman. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I guess sort of the unfortunate thing is the studio kind of should have known better because, I mean, they're the same studio that released Last Crusade. So, you know, but what can you do? I know you remember seeing this for the first time because you watched them all in a row at your friend's house. Yeah. But you saw this in the theater, right? <laughs> I did. I think I think we, we kind of covered this a few weeks ago, but my first movie experience that I can remember, my first theatrical experience is Star Trek V. Oh, wow. First all, overall, not just Star Trek. It's the only one I can... It's the first one I can remember. I may have been to a drive-in before that point, but I remember being in a theater for Star Trek V with my dad. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure why dad chose to take me to that and not Last Crusade or or Batman. Well, your dad was a big Star Trek fan, right? Right. and And I think... It may have been one of the first things we'd done together, just me and my dad. So I'm only like five years old because I'm just a little baby in 1989. <laughs> so I did not understand the movie at all. I I think I thought it was funny, and I'm pretty sure that uh, I liked, you know, like Scotty hitting his head and the Pratt Falls and the falling. and the. I know I liked the marshmallow marshmallow dispenser because I had one. Yes. I'm jealous. One of those from Kraft, and you push it, and the marshmallows would come out. But I remember just being very confused as to why McCoy had to let his dad die. Like, that was very strange for me. Well, that's an interesting uh, subplot in a movie, which is supposed to be uh, an experience where uh, a father and, and son bond together. Right. But hey. And then and then you know Spock's dad is rejecting him. It was a very interesting <laughs> movie for my dad and I to watch. But you know, it's like I can understand you saying like why that and not Last Crusade or Batman. I mean, Star Trek 5 is the one that's rated PG. The other two are PG-13. Oh. So maybe That does make like, sense. Mm, this is the one. You know. I may have to I may have to interview him about this. That'd See if good. he even remembers taking me. Yeah, because Last Crusade's got the the guy drinking from the cup, and then he like shrivels up and like explodes against the wall. Yeah, and Batman has you know like the guy with the the buzzer who gets yes like, the joy buzzer thing. and lights on fire. <laughs> Star Trek Five. I mean, doesn't have any of that. It doesn't even have rock monsters. No, unfortunately. Yeah. So you watched this immediately after watching Star Trek Four, and no. immediately previous, or was this like in the day between? This well, basically, we had watched two, three, and four in one night, and then I had number five, and I was like, "Okay, well, we you know we we watched a bunch of movies today. We're going to sleep, whatever. We, you know, we were having like a sleepover. So in the morning, after we woke up." We're like, all right, 
Star Trek. Oh, man, it's the best thing ever. Oh, <laughs> after getting over that first movie, they can do no wrong. Two, three, and four are all amazing. I can't wait to see five. Let's put it in. And, and my friend who had seen two, three, and four had not seen five either. Oh. So it's like, oh, fresh Trek for you, too. This is going to be exciting. And we watched it, and we're like, okay, fine. So they can't all be winners. That's how this works. Right? <laughs> but uh, in the years since, like, because because at the time I was like, well, you know, like I I think like my initial reaction was like, well, four is the only one that I would actually want to own. And then you know I kept on as I was watching more and more Trek on TV. I was like, okay, let me take a look at two again. Let me take a look at three again. You know, and. I was re-watching stuff and watching what was on TV and everything like that, and I never was going back to either one or five because I didn't like those. Right. And sooner or later, I think what it was really was like the previews that they would have before the movies on the VHS tapes where they're like, oh, and the complete collection. And there were some shots. There were a lot of shots in one, obviously, but there were also like a couple shots in five, like the shot of the... Uh, the Enterprise in front of the moon. The best shot. Yeah, the moon Had it been shot. done better. Yeah, right. Um, and I was like, what's that from? Because I, I, I know all these other movies really well now. It's like, I don't remember that shot. Oh, my God, this movie looks really good. I need to go back and watch five again. And then it just became a thing, just like, you know, the way that Trekkies do, where you see everything multiple times, whether or not you actually enjoy it. And yeah. you become more familiar with it. But, okay, so initially I didn't like it. Did you like it initially? I I just remember being confused and my dad not liking it. And again, I was very influenced by my dad's odd mm -hmm. number rule. Right. So I don't think, I don't think he ever owned it. Um, I, I watched it again at a friend's house when we had our own movie marathon mm -hmm. uh, uh, much later because it always included six. Mm. But, I mean, I didn't really grow up with five, or at least not an overview. No, wait, we did have five. It was tape. It wasn't, we didn't own it. We taped it off of TV or something. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So I had five on one of those blank videos along with, I feel like that was a tape with RoboCop. That's weird. Oh, that's good. It's good tape. So, okay, your dad, you said that he, you know, is very strict about the even-odd numbered rule. So, like, when he was going into five, was he like, you know, this one's going to suck, right? I don't remember. Or at that point, I was, was five. it? Was, okay. <laughs> or I was just wondering if that point it, it hadn't really, uh, there wasn't enough statistical data yet to. Right. I'm, yeah. I'm betting that that's the, that's the, just, this, 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 goodness gracious. I'm betting that that's the, just, I'm betting that's it. Okay. All right. Yeah. Cause that's interesting. I don't know. And what does he do for for the JJ movies? Because you got number one, Star Trek 09, <laughs> which is a double odd. Does that make it an even? He likes the JJ movies. I took him to see Into Darkness, and he enjoyed it a lot. I, I don't think that he these restart and and don't necessarily have to follow the the odd number rule. Okay, all right, fair enough. So today, what do you think about the movie now? Here. It hasn't been 25 years since you saw it for the first time, but what do you think of it now? Do you do you feel better about it, 
Yeah, I do feel better about it. You know, I mean, I, I honestly can say that I don't think there are any bad Star Trek movies. There mm-hmm. are some which are better than others for sure. And there are some which I have major problems with. And this is one which I do have major problems with, but I still enjoy watching it. Um, I think the beginning is really strong. You know, I mean, starting with the, the rock climbing sequence, which John Woo totally ripped off in Mission Impossible 2. And, uh, and, and going on, you know, with all the campfire stuff and everything. Like, all that stuff, I think, captures the relationship between the three main leads better than probably any of the other movies. And it's a lot of fun. It's very funny. And basically, once... And and I like the raid on on, uh, Nimbus 3 as well, you Mm -hmm. know? I mean, everyone talks about how bad the effects are. I like the effects. I don't think that they're realistic or anything like that, but there's something about that, like the way that there's basically like no sort of like motion blur or anything like that. It (laughs) has this weird effect, and I like the way that it looks, you know? I don't think that it's technically good, but it has a very interesting and unique artistic quality to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I so 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 that stuff is really solid. Once and, and the whole thing where there's like B as in barricade, which I still don't <laughs> yes. understand what that means in terms of the actual what they were doing there. But whatever. Anyway, well, the net the net comes up and barricades it from flying in through the rest of the ship. Is that I'm what guessing. he was referring to? I guess, but that thing took forever to come up, that yeah. the net that catches them. You'd think they'd put that up as soon as it... I thought they were saying, like, the way that the ships were coming through. I don't know. How how Chekhov and Scotty knew what he was talking about, I have no idea. But uh, But that sequence, I think, is really good. Basically, once that shuttlecraft gets back on the ship, and there's that lull where everyone's passed out or whatever, it's like from there onward... It's like, okay, this movie is not working anymore. Right. You know, and I, I still think it's decent. You know, I, I like this, this thing in the elevator shaft, even though the numbers don't line up. I like the <laughs> fact that they're wearing Reebok pumps while they're, you know, in the elevator shaft and I guess throughout the rest of the movie. But for the most part, I think it is one of the weaker Star Trek movies for sure. Yeah, I agree. To me, the overall plot is stupid the you know spock's half brother that we never mentioned Mm -hmm. who can ease people's pain for no reason which causes him to be brainwashed for some reason so that he can find you know heaven and god who's trapped on this planet who's not really god that's i don't like that that's very strange but there are a lot of good moments yeah yeah like the the campfire scenes and uh the Morse code breaking them out of prison. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the, the, the jokes and the humor, but, but the main plot of the movie just kind of drags it down, which is, is weird. Usually you've got, you know, B plots that are dragging it down. But in this one, the bleep, the B plots are what keeps it afloat for me. Um, it's fun. It's funny. Uh, it was one of the first movies that riff tracks did when the mystery science theater guys came back. Yeah. Uh, they did Roadhouse and then they did Star Trek five. 
So I I bought it, you know, the day it came out. It's great. It's really funny. But overall, yeah, the movie is disappointing. But I, I think there are a lot of uh, good moments, especially around the campfire. Have you heard of the nightmare theory about this movie? No. Okay. So the there's there's not it's not really a theory but there's there's an interesting way of looking at this movie that uh, you might not have before in that perhaps the entire movie is maybe not a shared dream but like Kirk's nightmare of the worst possible things that could happen to him hmm. and so so like the only things that are real are the campfire scenes and then they fall asleep and then Kirk has this nightmare that the ship's not ready and they're called out on another assignment and, you know, the ship is taken over. Uh, Spock has been keeping secrets, you know, secret half-brothers from him. And, you know, this guy feeds on people's pain and Kirk doesn't like pain. Well, he needs his pain. And eventually, you know, Kirk faces God in his dream and defeats him, which seems like a Kirk thing to do. And then... He wakes up, and they're back at the at the campfire again, and that's how the movie closes. And it it kind of fits in with the the sing along of life is but a dream. Yeah, yeah. Like it, it, I can see that. I know that's not what Shatner intended, but but I can see that kind of interpretation. And it it's interesting, and it also explains why. They make peace with the Klingons in Star Trek V, but in Star Trek VI, nobody, none of the Klingons like Kirk, and you know nobody ever mentions it again, or Spock having a half brother, or any of that. And if it's just a dream, then I mean, it's a, that's a terrible way to explain a bad movie, but it's an interesting theory. Yeah, that is an interesting theory, and I guess it goes into you know Roddenberry's thing with saying like, oh, parts of this movie are apocryphal and stuff. Yeah, I had never thought of that. The only problem that I have with it is he's, I don't know, it would work better if he was waking up at the end instead right. of, because he goes to well, sleep. Well, then it would be obvious. And then it's night. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, and I mean, that that's cool. that's cool for sure. And I think that, you know, like a lot of the problems with this movie stem from the fact that Shatner wanted to do something that the studio didn't want to do, you know? Mm-hmm. So, in a sense, what we got is a compromised version of both, and neither one. They conflicted with each other so much, you know? Right. So, I mean, like, like it's it's been talked about, you know, by Shatner that he's like, oh, I wanted to have the Enterprise find God or something like that. Well, how does that work? Yeah, well, right. You know, and it's like, well, it doesn't work the way you're doing it in this movie, you know? <laughs> and and even once the script is locked, you know, there were so many problems with it just from budgetary reasons with, like, the uh, the rock monster, you know, and stuff like that, or the rock monsters, which right. were supposed to be at the end of the movie. And it really does not make any sense the way it plays out now. Um, it doesn't make any sense for rock monsters to appear either. Maybe not, but I could see them, you know, at least some of the shots where there were supposed to be rock monsters in them would make sense. And it's like, oh, that's what's happening in this particular shot. Or this is why, like, the, the shuttlecraft is rumbling or whatever, you know, that, that kind of thing. Wasn't it supposed to be that the rock monsters were, like, demons? Like, it turns from heaven to hell in a quite literal sense? Right. I think that's what right. Shatner was going for, right? Yeah, I think so. So that makes a little bit more sense, but that would have been hard to come across... Yeah. on the $5 budget that they gave him. 
Right. If this movie were made even, you know, well, let's, I mean, let's say 10 years later, maybe five years later, but definitely 10 years later, he could have easily had his rock monsters. Had it been made six months later and ILM been able to work on it Mm -hmm. because they were working on Ghostbusters 2 at the time, yeah, which has incredible special effects. I think that had it waited six months and been released at Christmas uh, 1989, going up against Ghostbusters 2, that'd probably be bad, a bad and idea Back also. Back to the Future Part 2 as well. Oh, man. Man, 1989 was a good year too. Yeah, Do the Right Thing and Sex, Lies, and Videotape too on the uh, indie side of things. Wow. It's a pretty crazy year. Mm. Wow. That, that must have been the year I really got into movies because I loved all those movies. <laughs> yeah. Well, not I mean, not, not Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Yeah. I mean... It's a good movie. You know, the big movies. Yeah. Batman and yeah. so forth. Yeah. That came you, out. You were, you were I was five big, years old. I you loved sex lives and video the right thing when you were five. No. <laughs> you're like, oh, when that guy threw that garbage can, little five year old <laughs> Drew goes up to like his local pizzeria with a with a garbage can, tries to chuck it through the window. Yeah. So Shatner's directorial debut and last thing Shatner ever directed theatrically. Did he direct other things? That's good. Oh yeah, he directed a, a movie called Groom Lake. Uh, which was written by Maurice Hurley of uh, Star Trek The Next Generation fame. I and, did not know this. And, uh, yeah, it's about, you know, aliens, alien oh, okay. abduction, things, whatever. Cause Groom, I was hoping it was about horses. No, no, no. Because Groom Lake is a, a real place, right? I mean, that's like where like a lot of UFO sightings have been. Is, isn't it? Is it like right outside of Area 51 or something like that? I don't know. I don't know. It's a real place from what I understand. And he also uh, did a lot of those documentaries like The Captains and Get a Life. Mm-hmm. You know, he directed a, a lot of TV, you know, a lot of Tech War. Um, did an episode of Kung Fu, The Legend Continues. He did a That's lot. That's fantastic. A lot of TJ Hooker, obviously. Oh, good. I'm glad that he got other opportunities. Yeah, yeah, he did. And... And and also it was written by David Lowry. It wasn't his first movie; it was his second movie. But Lowry has gone on to become uh, quite an interesting screenwriter. I mean, he did a lot of things in the '90s, like uh, Passenger Fifty Seven and The Three Musketeers, and he was a writer on Time Tracks and stuff like that. But since then, in the aughts, like he wrote Tom and Huck in 1995. And then he hadn't written another movie or, and, until 2008. And now he's had sort of a resurgence where he's written three modern-day classics, if you ask me. Okay. Um, the first one came in 2008, and that was Lakeview Terrace, um, which was uh, directed by uh, Neil Labute. And that's the one where... Uh, Carrie Washington and Patrick Wilson are like the newlyweds and they're living in like this like gated community thing or whatever and the next door neighbor is Sam Jackson who's like a cop and he's like oh I don't like the fact that you know a white guy married a black woman so I'm gonna make their lives a living hell and then it like goes from there okay awesome awesome movie go watch that movie it's amazing (laughs) and then a year later in 2009 he wrote obsessed which was the one with idris elba and beyonce and ali larder 
Right. Like Beyonce and Idris Elba are like the married couple and Idris Elba is working with Allie Larder and she's like, oh, I'm going to, you know, seduce him. And then like Beyonce and Allie Larder are like, go at it. (laughs) It's it's, it's amazing. And then and then this year he wrote a movie called uh, Nurse 3D. (laughs) <laughs> which I just watched the other day. It's directed by Douglas Erniokoski, who's the guy who directed Highlander Endgame, which I actually thought was really good. And it's about, it stars uh, Paz de la Huerta, who was in um, Boardwalk Empire. And she plays a nurse who's also like a serial killer who goes around killing um, married men who cheat on their wives. Hmm. It's awesome. This guy is like my new favorite writer. And when I saw all these things, I'm like, these were all written by the guy who wrote Star Trek V? <laughs> this is the most amazing thing ever. Everybody has to start somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and he also was the guy who wrote that um, Starfleet Academy script that we talked about a while ago. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he's he's got some history, some really, really interesting history. And... Huh. Uh, it kind of explains some stuff about Star Trek V when you think about it. Does it? Does it really? I think it does. I think it, it does. If you think about, about it that. hard enough, long enough and hard enough, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay, so this movie, it's got, you know, all this stuff and, you know, we've talked about the movie and everything like that. But my absolute favorite part about Star Trek V, The Final Frontier is the special edition DVD, and also, well, it's translated now to the Blu-ray that exists for this movie. Are, are you familiar with the, the, the DVD? Have you, have you gone through the, the special features on the two-disc set? I'm sure I did at one point. I always watch the, you know, visual effects special features mm-hmm. on, the, on them, but I don't think I've watched, like, everything. Yeah. I can't imagine the visual effects special features on this disc being tremendously great. I don't think they had one. Yeah, that makes sense. But everything else was awesome. I mean, there was a commentary by Shatner and his daughter, which is fine. You know, anytime you hear Shatner talking about a movie, that's great. And then the, uh, I think the the commentary, the other commentary on the Blu-ray, the fan commentary was by the Okudas and the Reeves Stevenses, if I'm not mistaken, which was cool too, whatever. But, the really great stuff is the archival features, which they pulled out of storage uh, for the um, for, for for the set. You've got a lot of stuff on here. You've got, um, like you were saying, that's something that I forgot about. Uh, Shatner talking about rock climbing. Yeah, yeah. What what was it? What was that again? So he's just sitting on a rock with El Capitan in the background, and he he just gives this speech about Captain Kirk is climbing the mountain. Why is he climbing the mountain? And then he talks about, you know, the philosophy of rock climbing and because it's there and that kind of thing. And It's really surreal because it's, you know, Shatner justifying why he's having his character climb rocks because I like to. You know, that's why he rides horses in generations. You know, it's kind of like, because I like to ride horses. And and you said that, that there's been a remix. Yes, there's a there's a great remix. I think it's a called Shatner on the Mount, and it's and it's like a kind of a techno beat thing. You know, why is he climbing the mountain? Why is he climbing the mountain? Why? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds awesome. I need, I need to check that out when we're done here. Yeah. Okay. So you got that. 
Then we've got um, Harv Bennett's video pitch to the studio, you know, where he talks oh, about, you know, why, you know, how this movie is going to be great and everything like that. And, you know, it's just like him sitting in his office, you know, talking about how awesome this movie is going to be. Um, that's that's good. You know, that's fine. They've got the thing which everyone talks about, which is the original test footage of the rock monsters. Yeah. You know? And they set it to like Godzilla type of music, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's pretty great. And they tried to, you know, Shatner was like, give me like a million bucks so I can stick my rock monsters back in this movie and we can have like a true like special edition for the DVD. And the studio was like, no, it's not happening, which sucks. But yeah, what can you do? At least we have this rock monster footage, you know, we can actually see what it looks like. And it looks hilarious, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's got the smoke and the everything, and I kind of wish they would have actually used it in the movie, but but, no. <laughs> but at least this is here. But the absolute best thing, which is on the DVD, the best piece of archival uh, footage from any DVD ever in the history of DVDs is the press conference, which was held... <sighs> At at the end of principal photography, on the last day of principal photography, okay? Uh-huh. And I don't know how the studio let this one slide by, okay? But they did. And it is just this thing. It's put on in real time. I think there's there's an introduction by Ralph Winter who produced it, right? And then they have just the entire press conference as it played out in real time, no, no edits, no nothing. And it is so hilarious and so depressing. Okay. Because none of those people want to be there. They, their big idea was we open up the curtain, you know, and the press will see the bridge of the enterprise and all of the main cast members are on the bridge in their full uniforms. Shatner will give a little speech. They'll have a, a champagne toast. And then <laughs> and then that's it. You know, and then Shatner will and then they'll answer questions. Okay. So like Harv Bennett comes out and he's like, Good evening. And then like the music starts to play, like the fanfare, you know? And then mm -hmm. he's like, No, no, not now. Not okay. Okay, thanks. And then he's like, "Hello," you know, blah blah blah. He tells a joke, like lots of people tell little jokes where you know that would they're not like knee slappers, but you know, which would get a little chuckle. And I think that mm -hmm. the problem here is that they didn't have any microphones on the actual press, so like people tell jokes, and there might have been people going like, <laughs> but you can't hear it on the tape. Oh, so it's just like, hey, I'm gonna tell this joke. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> and then they open up the curtain, you know, and you see everyone sitting there and no one wants to be there, you can tell. And, you know, William Shatner's like, I directed this movie and let me introduce you to the cast. Here's Leonard Nimoy and DeForest Kelly and uh, James Doohan and blah, blah, blah. And he goes through everyone, everyone's saying hi. You've got, like, people saying, like, you know, like Sulu's, like, live long and prosper and blah, blah, blah. And, like, uh... 
Nimoy's like, this is highly logical, Captain. And it's like, don't don't do these things. I guess the original idea was to have them all be in character. And then at the last minute, they were like, no, no, let's not do that. (laughs) But the absolute worst part of the whole thing is when he's going around to all those people and he gets to Walter Koenig and he's like, and here we have the man who plays Chekhov. (laughs) Oh, no. He forgot Walter Koenig's name. (laughs) And Walter Koenig's like, Walter Koenig, thanks. All right. You know, and then they're like, okay, so that was fun. And then they're like, okay, some of them need to get back to work and some of them are sick. So we're going to let the the ones who who need to to leave now leave. And all of them leave. Everybody leaves. (laughs) So Shatner's right there and he's like, okay, so I'm going to leave. And Bennett's like, no, you need to stay for the Q&A. And he's like, oh, okay. And then he answers like three questions. And then they're like, okay, guys, uh, if anybody wants some food, we got some food over on that table over there. And then that's it. It is hilarious. You've got to watch it. It's the best thing ever. And that right there, say what you want about Star Trek V, love it or hate it, whatever. The fact that we got that press conference out of this movie is reason enough for this movie to exist. Well, it was fun talking about Star Trek V today, but that's just one of the Trek topics we've been talking about on Trek FM this week. Here's a quick look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.FM, Standard Orbit. And we go to the theater. I still remember this, even though I was only four. I still remember this. We go to the theater, and we're watching it. And then that Klingon dog shows up on screen. And I'm like, (laughs) what the frack is that? Get me out of here right now. Earl Grey. He would have excellent bedside manner. Here is a joke I know. Uh, uh. Would you like a Sumerian sunset? It is pretty. It will lift you from your terminal case of Uh, gout. Ah, Ah-choo! The ready room. I think that she is picturing him in the en naturel division of <laughs> synchronized swimming. Captain Fine. Which is not an Olympic sport, but they are considering it, it as a demonstration <laughs> sport for the Rio de Janeiro games coming up. The orb. Is it this thing like where women like bad boys or something? Does Dakot have a Harley that I don't know about? Uh, I think he must. Um, and, <laughs> I know. You know, he rides around on a Harley. Uh, he's he uh, just breaking hearts all over the place. To the journey! He says, yeah, they want me to read. They're saying it's mine if I want it, but I don't want to do it. And she, like, jumps out of her chair and, like, shakes him. She's like, what? Are you kidding? This is Star Trek. Are you kidding? You would be made for life. Commentary, Trek stars. <laughs> I thought you were going to do a Brandon Braga voice. <laughs> It's uh, it's really hard to do a Brandon Braga voice. That's, that's pretty good. It's right gotta there. be, you know, it's gotta be kind of quiet. Literary treks. Again, it was originally published as a scroll form, and then later as a codex book, and now both in print and electronic form in the 24th century. And this particular edition of it has an introduction and afterward and modern commentary by a 24th century Klingon novelist named Karatak. Continuing mission goal was to try to get as much Trek content into people's hands and to let people explore the Trek universe with their own spaceship and build their own crew in the way they want, customize and design and just, you know, to be in your own Star Trek world. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. 
Check out these shows and get in on the Daily Trek Talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows Podcast Directory for Xbox and Zune, or you can stream from the website. Just visit trek.fm slash pd for podcast directory to get all the links. We have an email from uh, Glenn in Alberta, Canada, and his message is titled, No Respect for the Metrons. They call themselves the Metrons. Note the short O. Kirk calls them the Metrons with a long O. One of your hosts called them the Metrions. That would be me. <laughs> Maybe in a thousand years or so, we'll get it right, LOL. Keep up the good work, Trek FM. I love all your shows. Cheers, Gib. You know, I have a theory about this. I mean, no, no excuse for you, you know, whatever. <laughs> Although I probably would have done the same thing. But in terms of the episode itself, okay, they're called the Metrons, but Kirk calls them the Metrones. And, I mean, perhaps Glenn can verify this, seeing as how he's from Alberta. But my theory is that, you know, Shatner, being a Canadian, ah, that's how, you know, I mean, that's, you know, you got like a boot, right? Right. And stuff like that. I'm just assuming that's how, that's the Canadian pronun- pronunciation of Metron. You say sabotage. I say sabotage. Right. You know, so he's like, hey, hey, there. Let's get some Tim Hortons and bring them to the Metrons, <laughs> right? Hockey, hockey, right? <laughs> Sports. I mean, that's uh, that, that makes seems sense. Perfectly reasonable to me. I have no excuse. No, you have no excuse. No. Yeah, no respect for the Metrons from Metrions. Metrions from Drew. The Metronos. Yeah. All right. If uh, anybody else would like to contact us to correct our pronunciation. <laughs> Or any of their other thoughts, just go to trek.fm slash contact. There's a form there. Choose to send a show and choose Standard Orbit. That'll come to both of us by email. You can also use the tab on the right-hand side of any page to send us a voicemail using your webcam's microphone. And you can talk to us and our other listeners on our forums at trek.fm slash forums. In social media, you'll find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm and on Twitter under username trek.fm. Mike, where can people find you out of orbit? Well, you can find me here on uh, Trek.fm, where I do uh, commentary, Trek Stars, uh, with my friend Max. And you can also find uh, me on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do commentary Track Stars off-topic. And you can find me on Twitter at Mumbles3K. And you can find me on Twitter at 005, D-O-U-B-L-E-O-F-I-V-E. Follow us. Talk to us about movies and aspect ratios. We like talking about aspect ratios. Yep, yep. Well, before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor, who helps us bring Standard Orbit to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is Audible.com. Audible's a great way for you to read all the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have time for. Audible's the premier source for audiobooks and more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week. From classics to current bestsellers, and even some of the most famous Star Trek books like Prime Directive Federation and Spock's World, Audible has something for everyone. Mike, what do you have for everyone? Well, the book that I have for this week is Star Trek Movie Memories by William Shatner, which is, uh, you know, I mean, Shatner directed Star Trek V, so you would think that his memories about making this movie in particular would be uh, pretty cool. And mm. it, it is his, his memoirs. You know, he did the Star Trek memories, and then he did the Star Trek movie memories. And I, I've read this book, and it's very, very good. Um, I love it. Yeah. He wrote it and narrated it himself. And, well, at least he narrated it himself, and he wrote it. 
is credited as writer. And uh, <laughs> the, the description is um, the sequel to the best-selling Star Trek Memories doc- documenting in deliciously lurid and candid detail all the behind-the-scenes shenanigans in the making of the six Star Trek movies with on-the-scene reporting from the set of the seventh in which Kirk dies. Spoilers. Wow. Right there, huh? Yep. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's the uh, four-hour and 43-minute version, and you can get it for free on Audible since you listen to Trek FM. That's right. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is. So give it a try today, catch up on all those classic Star Trek books you've yet to read, and that latest novel from your favorite author as well. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm, and we thank Audible for supporting Standard Orbit and Trek FM. And lastly, there's another way you can keep us in orbit, and that's by adopting some aliens. Well, the illustrations of, of aliens. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight original alien illustrations by Tobu Ushi, who does most of the artwork you see on our website. They're available as both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know which you would like in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. He doesn't have any rock monster badges, though. That that it, makes me sad. If only there was a rock monster in Star Trek V, then maybe he would have a rock monster badge. But as it stands... It, that would be logical. Because if it was, it would be the greatest alien ever created. Maybe if he does a special edition badge. Ah. Yeah. Theoretical alien badges. Yeah. Yeah. Well, everybody, thanks for listening. Have a good week and keep on trekking. It is the will of Landry. Mr. Chekhov. Take us out of orbit, ahead, walk, factor one. Hi, sir.